he's like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you trying this? You're not going to go pro. And I said to him, I said, man, you don't understand. This is way bigger than that for me. Like, I love the game. So we have a special episode tonight. We had Melvin Levitt on previously, and we're going to try and do a mini series here with some of the Bearcats as we can get them here on the podcast. But tonight we have Alex Meacham. Alex, thank you for joining us. No problem. How you doing? Doing well. Doing Ed, good. how you doing? Doing good. Good. I'm not going to really waste any time here. So kind of growing up here in the Queen City and being a product of Roger Bacon High School, has it always been basketball for you, Alex? Yeah, it has. You know, I, I tried baseball. And um, I, I just honestly, I was scared to death of the ball when I was at the plate. Um, and then in the outfield, I just got bored. So <laughs> baseball didn't work. And then I tried football one time, and just the the idea of getting hit that hard <laughs> wasn't in my it wasn't in my cards for a kid that was um, you know I was at the time early on when I tried football I was about five nine about a hundred and thirty. 235 pounds so i was pretty skinny and i just i wasn't trying to get hit so basketball was 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 more my speed as a young kid plus my older brother tony who's uh seven years older than me he's a very he was a very very good basketball player and i looked up to him as i think a lot of young people do you look up to your older brother and He's the one that got me started in basketball, and so that's what I just took off with. So, being a product of Roger Bacon, how jealous were you when Roger Bacon got to take on LeBron James for state? <laughs> well, first off, I, I want to take a little credit for that, um, and jokingly <laughs> I do, but I, I've got to take a little credit because um, the, the head coach of Roger Bacon at that time, Bill Brewer, who has uh, since passed away, um, he was uh, my coach in high school, and the class that I was a part of, he said to us, you know, one thing that you want to do as you leave Roger Bacon High School and you leave this basketball program is make sure that, you know, you leave it as this is how hard you need to work to play basketball here at Roger Bacon. You know, leave a legacy and make sure that, you know, the younger kids, the freshmen, sophomore and juniors, you're pulling them up, you're teaching them the way. And when Coach Brewer said that it really hit home and I tried to do my part and really you know have a part in you know talking to the young players and making sure they were working hard so I would always go back even when I was in college and I would work out with Roger Bacon's basketball team and and I would talk with some of these uh kids individually there was a kid that played I call him a kid but he's a he's a grown man now but (laughs) Josh Hosfeld who played at Roger Bacon and um, he was one of the players on that team that, that beat LeBron, and I worked with him a lot. You know, we talked after practices and stuff. So um, I felt like I was a part of that group. I wasn't on the coaching staff, but I, I just felt a part of that group. So I was really, really proud of those guys. I wish I was on that team to say, you know, we beat one of the one of the greats. But it's just a, I think it's just a cool story altogether that, uh, Roger Bacon was able to uh, to beat that juggernaut of a team and one of the greatest players of all time. You aren't kidding. Was there anybody that you modeled your game after as a kid growing up? <laughs> that is so. You know what? I've, Besides MJ, I've never been. 
I've never been asked that question, but that is a great question because everyone thinks I modeled my game after Jordan. Not that I played like Jordan, but the fact <laughs> that Jordan was my favorite basketball player and I watched his every move. But believe it or not, that wasn't the guy I patterned my game off of. I, I really tried to, I tried to take bits and pieces of Jordan's work ethic. Um, you know, like, like Michael Jordan after games, when you would see him at a post-game press conference, he would be in a suit and tie. When he would come into the game, he'd pull up in his Lamborghini, Ferrari. He'd be in an impeccable suit. And everything was just so professional. And I took a lot of those things away from Michael Jordan. But when it came to patterning my game, I would say um, there are a couple people that I look at. One was a former uh, UC basketball player, Roger McClendon. Um, okay. As a young kid, I would go to the UC basketball games. My dad got me hooked on UC basketball. And Roger McClendon, to me, was just like the smoothest basketball player I've ever seen. His mid-range jump shot was just insane. And um, I, I really watched him and how he moved. And that was early on kind of the start. Uh, Glenn Rice, who played for Michigan, I thought his jump shot, like at the top of his release, was just so beautiful. Um, I would a lot, a lot of times I would watch uh, Michigan games and film them and watch Glenn Rice's release. And so I would pattern my game after him. And then later on, to be honest with you, because of my size being five ten and a half and at the time very skinny and kind of wiry, you know, I've got a about a six three and a half wingspan, so my arms are, are really long. Sure. Uh, Allen Iverson was really the guy that, I thought, okay, if I can really be like somebody, it's realistically him. Because I'm not 6'6", six, six, you know, 35 like Michael Jordan. Like, that's just <laughs> not realistic. But Allen Iverson, <laughs> just he played with so much, you know, it, it's so much dog in him. And that's, that's a word that we used a lot when I was growing up. It's like, you got to play with, you know, that dog in you. Um, and he was so small, but yet... He was fearless, and I had to take a lot of that away from. I took a lot of what he did away from him, and, and uh, applied that to my game. And I, I think honestly, a lot of that helped me as I was trying to be a walk on at UC because I was going to be small, and I had to be, you know, fearless and, and have that dog in me. So I say those are the guys that game wise influenced me, and that's who I patterned myself off of. So it's a great question too. That's that's super cool. Talking about practice. <laughs> practice? It's not a not game. game. <laughs> now, I didn't. Now, listen, I did not take that part away from Alan. I, was, I was actually, I knew that, that practice was important. But I'll tell you a, a fun fact about Alan Iverson. I don't know if you guys know this, but I mean, he's known for that, that crossover, right? That killer yeah. crossover. Yeah. Um, have, you, have you heard the origins of how he developed that crossover? No. No. So, you know, I was a walk-on, and being a walk-on on any Division One basketball team, and at the time, UC being a major Division One um, program, um, I mean, we were number one at some point every year that, that I played. Um, being a walk-on, you are, I mean, I, I'm the closest one to the water cooler, and, and, and that means I'm the worst player on the team. Like, I'm, I'm like, really... really Anytime you're the closest guy to the water cooler, you, you're 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 really low on the totem pole. So sometimes the best players 
um, i.e. Kenyon Martin, Ruben Patterson, Melvin Levitt, guys that I played with, um, they don't take a lot away from what a walk-on presents, you know, at practice or whatever. They, they, just, they just don't. But Allen Iverson, when he was at Georgetown, was in practice, and the walk-on for Georgetown just kept hitting him with this move. And he would get Allen Iverson on it every single time. So AI finally goes up to dude like, hey, man, like, you, you are killing me with this move. Will you teach it to me? So every day after practice, this, this player, this walk-on for Georgetown, who I believe was from Brooklyn, New York. He's either from Brooklyn or the Bronx. I can't remember which one. He taught Allen Iverson the crossover. So Allen took it and added his own flair. And being that Allen's arms are so freaking long compared to, you know, his body, he right. really brought the ball far out. He added his own spice to it. So in his Hall of Fame speech, Allen Iverson gave a lot of credit to the walk-on from Georgetown who taught him that killer crossover. That's so awesome. That's, that's the a story cool story behind the crossover. That's a cool yep. story. I like that. So you yeah. meant... You yeah, meant you can, if, you, if you go back and watch his Hall of Fame speech, you'll hear him, you know, talk about it, so... Definitely check that out. Yep. Now, you did mention you were a walk-on, and I think anybody who knows of you already knows that you are maybe the greatest walk-on at UC. <laughs> at least <laughs> well, not necessarily while you were there on the court, but with everything you've contributed to the program after the fact. But what was it like trying to make the team for a Bobby Huggins team as a walk-on? Well, you know, it was, it was difficult at that time because – Walk-ons really weren't, they weren't popular. They, they weren't a standard thing, you know, across the board. So, for example, you know, it wasn't like Xavier, Kentucky, Ohio State. It's not like all these teams had walk-ons. Maybe one or two did. So, I think even for Coach Huggins, he wasn't even sure what to do with a walk-on. I mean, prior to me, there were guys that walked on. I think, uh, like Steve Sanders, he was an exception because he played football. Yeah. And um, he, he was a big-time basketball player in Cleveland. Um, he could have easily earned basketball uh, scholarships at, at other schools, but football was kind of his go-to deal. So, you know, I don't really look at Steve as your typical walk-on. Um, after that, you had guys like uh, Jerome Gray, who was a walk-on, but he was a scholarship athlete from Miami-Oxford. When Joby Wright was the head coach at Miami, Joby Wright got fired, and so Jerome left Miami and came to UC as a walk-on. So he was a scholarship player. I mean, he's, Jerome was six four and a half, um, you know, two ten. The right. kick could flat out play. Um, so prior to, you know, prior to me, there was n there was really no blueprint of of a walk-on like that. I was the, the type I was. So here I come. And it's like, okay, you really aren't good enough to be with these guys. And I'm just being honest. I mean, these sure. I'm playing with I'm playing with pros. Like, <laughs> we could go down that roster my first year, and, well, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Everybody I, played. What's that? I was just gonna say I got some of the names here uh, of guys that you played with. You know, Bobby Brandon, Mel Levitt, Ruben Patterson, Kenyon Martin, uh, Dewan Baker, Fletcher, uh, Pete Michael. Steve Logan, Donald Little, Demar Johnson, Kenny Satterfield, Leonard Stokes. I mean, pros, pros, pros. a handful of those guys made it big, like real big, like all star I mean, big. I mean, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, all pros, and really, if you if you 
you know, you look at me and in and, and my game, I just don't fit with them. But yet, I did fit. There was a way somebody with my skill set and what I brought to a team could work. Um, there were other examples. Um, for us, the Arizona, uh, Josh Pastner, um, yeah. at the time that I walked on, he was a walk on at Arizona. Josh then went on to get into coaching. He was coach at Memphis for a while right. um, and Georgia Tech. Um, I got to know uh, Josh really well. Um, there was a kid at uh, University of Kentucky, uh, Steve Massiello. I believe he got into coaching as well. I, I want to say he might have been the head coach of Manhattan at one time. but um, So there were other examples, um, and we all kind of were the same type of guys that were like, okay, you look at Josh Pastner, you look at Steve Massiello, you look at me, and then you look at the rest of the rosters like – wait a minute what <laughs> what are you guys doing here right <laughs> so we were kind of a new wave of something but yet um and you, you you guys know this i mean anytime you have a team it's important to have pieces that bring things together like that are the glue right they're glue pieces glue um, they may not be important statistically but they are important in other ways a great example i can give you of recent time is zach tobler i mean zach tobler yep couldn't compete and I, I love Z Z and I are good buddies but he you know he couldn't compete with those other guys on that roster Gary Clark Jacob Evans right. not competing with those guys however Z brought something to that team that was so cool and so unique that helped bring that entire piece together so um, I was able to do that I was able to I think fit within a group of uh, a lot of personalities um everyone thought that they were going to be nba stars and um, you know a bunch of them did some of them ended up overseas but to help blend those guys together it's like you know one guy said to me at one point when i was um my first year in the walk-on process one of the players i'm not gonna say who it is but he's like why are you doing this like why are you trying this you're not gonna go pro and i said to him i said man you don't understand this is way bigger than that for me like i love the game like this is this is way bigger than anything you can imagine and it kind of hit him and i think it changed his perspective on some things um so it was very difficult to be a walk-on because there was just no example prior to me so people didn't know how to treat me players coaches managers equipment managers doctors i was kind of treated like the the stepchild like i was just (laughs) (laughs) at times i was completely ignored i had to really earn respect i had i had to do extra i had to do more than anybody else i'd have to tape my own ankles when all the everyone else got their ankles taped I had to go to the assistant assistant trainer to get my ankle taped. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was tough. It was, but it was a, it was a great test for me. Great test. What would you say is your favorite moment, either with Huggins or with the team? Oh man, I tell you to be honest, there's so there's so many great moments for me. I don't I don't know that I have a greatest the greatest. Uh, I kind of categorize my experiences with. Coach Huggins and the team, they're clean versions, and then they're the... They're <laughs> That's exactly the, what Mel said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, the, they're ones I can't talk about on the podcast, but 
you know, maybe over a couple of adult beverages I can tell you guys about. But the can hold you to that. The, the clean, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I, I'm, I love telling stories uh, from that time. But I, I'll tell you a quick story. I'll, t- I'll tell you one of my one of my favorites. Um, so as you guys either remember or, or read about or heard about during my time there, um, UNC Charlotte was our biggest conference rival. Right, and they were. They were just tough. Uh, Coach Lutz uh, always had us scouted to a T. He was very good friends with Hugs, and Hugs wanted to beat him really bad. It's just like anytime you have a good friend, yep. you guys, you guys have comp- You know, you compete, even though you may not let that person know that, like, I want to beat you so bad. And that's how it was for Hugs and, and Lutz. So he wanted to win really bad and. And UNC Charlotte had some really good players. Diego Guevara, who was kind of like almost a That's the guy that kissed every time he made the three, right? He what? Is that the guy that kissed it to his girlfriend or wife in he, the stands every time he made a three? Correct, correct. He would he would blow kisses to the crowd. Exactly. Yep. Well, it, it turns out, well, at first we thought he was blowing kisses to the opposing team's fan, but the way he explained it was he was blowing kisses to his fiance and I, I guess eventual wife, but... And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, it, it rubbed us the wrong way. Yeah. So um, we were playing. Um, we were playing at the time. They were called UNC Charlotte, and so we're playing uh, UNC Charlotte um, at their place. And it was so tough to play there. Let me tell you about their crowd. We so Coach Huggins created this this aura of us against the world. And we were sponsored by Jordan, and that's jerseys of all college basketball. That that is the no doubt, no question, hands down. <laughs> yep. So, but Hugs thing was all our travel gear. Everything had to be all black. He wanted hoods on it. He wanted us to kind of take on that villain role. Like so, our travel gear was like we had black hoodies, black warm ups and black shoes so we were just going through the airport people would like we were like rock stars. i mean a lot, large part of us being rock stars was kenyon martin Correct. um but you know, seriously like we would walk through and people were like oh my lord like these guys in black hoods coming through so when we go to play um charlotte you know we pull up and our bus pulls up and what happens is on on game day you usually get there in some cases three hours before game time, depending on, you know, if you need to get taped up and get shots up, just sometimes it depends on the situation. So in that situation, we would get to their, uh, their uh, arena three hours prior and we would get to their arena and we would pull up and there would be fans already there outside as our vans pulling our, our buses pulling into the arena's garage and they're like throwing stuff at our bus and it's like what in the world these people are crazy (laughs) so (laughs) so we get out we're in our hoods we come out to warm up i'm telling you two hours before the game and their student section is packed with signs and they're like yelling at us and it was like so we're looking around and like kenyan and ruben are like what in the this is crazy like you don't get that at any other arena where they're there two hours early and they're like chanting and yelling at you i mean that's how 
big of a rivalry this was. I mean, every game was important yeah, between UC and UNC Charlotte. Well, their fans, so their student section, obviously, you know, there's space between us and the student section, and we're on the court, and there's probably about 20, 20 yards between the court and the start of the student section, and there's the gate, and then you got like a, a person kind of guarding a gate, you know, a security person. So these fans are yelling a crazy, I can't even repeat some of the stuff they're yelling. They're yelling <laughs> crazy stuff that like today was, would, would, would not be good. So, um, it just so happens that a, a guy that I went to high school with got a full scholarship to play soccer at UNC Charlotte. And he came to our game and he was there early and in the student section. Well, he had sent me a message um, that he was going to be, sent me an email that he was going to be at the game. So I spotted him. So I start walking into the student section. Uh -oh. And I go up there to, like, to see him and say what's up. And, like, people thought I was going over there, like, to fight. The security's holding me back. And I'm <laughs> like, no, I'm going to see my friend. And then, like, my teammates are running over. I'm like, no, 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 no. I went to school with this guy. <laughs> and so... Finally, he comes down. His name is TC. TC comes down. We, we talk a little bit. And he's like, he's like, man, Alex, these fans hate you guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> seriously. Like, and I was like, trust me, we, we know. So I painted the picture for you, right? This right. is a, this, this is intense. So halftime we're losing and we're not really executing the game plan the way hugs, you know, had things set up. And sometimes that happens because you, you get into a, you know, a hostile envir environment. There's so many things going on, and you're thinking about all this and that, and you lose sight of where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. It happens. So it's halftime, and of course Charlotte puts us in the worst possible locker room you could imagine, and there's a chalkboard. No, no blackboard. There's an actual like chalkboard, like a Charlie Brown chalkboard there that hugs like is like writing on the board. So we're, we're in this like old school locker room and hugs is so pissed off at halftime. He's yelling at us and, you know, hitting his, uh, the chalk on the chalkboard. And then finally he, he just gets so angry. He takes his fist and he punches the chalkboard as hard as he can. And his hand goes through the chalkboard. And here's the problem. <laughs> the problem is the chalkboard was very close to a rock hard cement wall. He punched through this chalkboard and he hit, he didn't realize that the cement wall was that close and he hit his hand so hard on the cement wall. And then he hits it and he turns around with his fist still balled up and he just is like, we're going to go out. We're going to beat it. So he's like yelling. So we're like, yeah, we get all hyped and we go out and so we start the second half and I'm sitting on the bench. And like I told you, I'm the closest guy to the cooler and you know, the medical staff's there and all that. So I lean over to the medical guy and I'm like, I'm saying, dude, like he hit that chalkboard hard. And he looked at me and he goes, he broke his hand. And I'm like, <laughs> what? He goes, Oh, his hand. He was like, we're going to have to, we're going to literally take him. He's going to either have to get surgery or, or, or get a cast. And I'm like, you're kidding me. I'm telling you, he coached that entire game. After the game was over, he acted like nothing was wrong, did the post game, and went and got a cast. 
That's fantastic. And I'm like, this dude, that that right there sums up like hugs. He never let us know. You could never tell. But Jay Grossman told me, oh, he broke his hand like bad. <laughs> and he had a, it was it was crazy. So that's one of my one of my favorite one of my favorite stories. I was reading about that story because uh, I have your book and I haven't read the book since since I was a freshman in high school. And when Aaron said we were going to have you on the show, I was like, I'm going to go back and read the book. And I remember that story being in the book. And and you said there was many altercations with a chalkboard, but that's a great that's a great story. <laughs> there were there were for sure. Now. Kind of switching gears here, because I have so much more I want to ask you, but I know your time's kind of limited, and I want to make sure that we get to some of the stuff that's current. Okay. So Mick left. Obviously, that's been a huge thing that's happened here um, with the transition of the entire program, as he was here for, what, 14 years, I believe? Close to that, yeah. Wow. Was it 14? Wow. I think it was 14. That went really quick, too. Yeah, like, did. I, I didn't realize. I think you're right, but I didn't realize he was that, here that long. Yeah. Um, Ed's going to look up the uh, the exact number here while I'm talking. But what kind of a relationship did you have with Mick? Because we've already seen, um, at least if you're a, a follower of Alex Meacham on Twitter, um, you're not shy about talking about your developing relationship with Coach Brandon here. Um, but before we get to Brandon, um, yeah, what kind of relationship did you have with Mick? So Mick was actually one of my coaches um, when I was a walk-on. He was one of the guard coaches under Coach Huggins. So – um, so my entire time at UC, Mick was here. Um, so I've known Mick even before that, um, when Mick was playing high school basketball at LaSalle, my brother was playing high school basketball at Summit. So I've known Mick, um, since I was a little kid, he knows my family really well. Um, he knows my dad extremely well. So, um, I've known Mick forever. Um, I always had a good relationship with him when he first got the job at UC, um, the day he got the job, like it was announced the next day, I had a voicemail from him saying, Hey, I got the job. Come on down. You're always welcome. So, um, you know, he welcomed uh, me with open arms. So that was good. And just all through the, uh, the years, he was always, uh, he was always good to me. So, I mean, I don't have anything bad to say about him and I wish him, wish him well out in Cali for sure. I was going to say, how did you actually feel about him leaving for UCLA? Um, you know, so I personally think that um, I don't care. I learned this a long time ago. I, I don't care where you go, what job you do. Um, everyone has an expiration date um, at what they do. Like, you, I don't care how great of a coach you are, how great of a job you do. There's a certain point where sometimes – you need a new start change the or that particular, you know, ch- change. Right. Yep. And I think, it, I think it was a good time for both, both parties. Um, I think Mick, Mick deserves a lot of credit for getting the program to where, to where it is or, you know, Absolutely. where it was at the time when I guess Andy Kennedy, um, the transition from Andy Kennedy and him, I think he only had, three players, Sed McGowan, Ronald Allen, and the walk-on Brandon Miller. That was, those were the three guys at the press conference when Mick took the job. That's wild. And I remember that day. <laughs> yeah. So he built it from, from that point to Ground up, Jacob yeah. Evans, Gary Clark, exactly. Kyle Washington, like Troy Copain. And there were a lot of great players. 
I think one of the best things that Mick did during this time was he really bought in, brought in some really, really quality people as basketball players. So um, I know Gary Clark very well. I text him all the time. You talk about one of the best dudes like you'd ever meet. I mean, Gary <laughs> is assaulted. And there's so many. I mean, Jacob Evans is the, the sweetest dude you ever meet. Troy Copain. Kevin Johnson and I have lunch tomorrow, uh, dinner tomorrow uh, night. Uh, we're, he wants to catch up and talk and different things. So a lot of those guys, I mean, they're just, I mean, from the time Mick got here to the time he left, the type of kid he brought in was a quality kid. So he deserves a lot of credit, I think, for that. But then I just think there's a time when sometimes you just need change. You need a fresh start yeah. and for both parties. And I think we were at that point. And I think no matter, no matter how it goes down, fellas, like there's going to be people pissed off or whatever. That's just the, the nature of it sometimes. And, but I, I think the split was, I mean, it, it, it was, it was good for both parties. I think it was for the most part smooth. And, you know, a lot of stuff didn't get out publicly, but right. I think for the most part it was, it was pretty smooth. So it was probably needed. Like you said, it's it almost like a great timing. Like there wasn't, you know, anything that really the ball had to drop or anything like that was pretty good timing. So, yep, yep for sure. <clears throat> so the alumni have had a lot to say during the whole coach search. Um, what were your thoughts on the process? Um, what were your thoughts to the reaction? And what do you think about Nick Van Exel's future as a potential coach? Maybe not here, but just in general. Well, first of all, um, I just want to make sure I, I put this out publicly. Nick Van Exel is my favorite UC Bearcat basketball player of all time. Same. Not even close. Yep. You, same for you? Yep. He, I mean, he's, yeah, oh. he, he's right. He's even before Kenyon. Yeah. He's, he's my first Bearcat exactly. memory. Yeah. So. No, no, no doubt about it. I mean, like, I love Ken. Ken was my roommate on the road. You know, he's, I mean, he's got all the accolades, but, but like, there's something about when I was growing up, there was something about Nick, just his swag, just how he played. I mean, he made so many people fall in love with UC basketball. Yep. Um, I, I, I so desperately would love to see him get a head coaching job somewhere um, and do very, very well. And who knows, you know, down the road, down the road, maybe he comes um, to UC at some point. Um, I don't know what capacity an assistant, maybe – head coach, you know, years down the road, because I think Coach Brandon's going to be here for a while and do an amazing job. Yep. Um, as far as, like, the, the coaching search, um, there, there, there are things, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I know a lot of people internally within the university, sure. um, from, from donors to administrators, so I kind of know a lot of things that happen behind the scenes. Sure. And it's a tough process and a lot of people were jumping the gun and, and not knowing all the information um, that their process of how they selected coach Brandon and how things went were, were very standard. And, and um, I have no problem with, with how they did things based on what I was being told. And um, of course I would have loved to have seen uh, Nick Van Exel, get the job just because I love Nick, but at this time where the program is and the trajectory of the program going up, uh, John Brandon was the right hire. Like my, my heart said Nick Van Exel, but my mind said 
John Brandon. Yeah. And I've known Coach Brandon for a long time. Uh, he's an excellent coach. And I've said this before on certain, I've said this on TV a couple times and radio. When you are a head coach of a basketball program, especially a major Division One basketball program like you see, you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Sure, absolutely. And you, you have to run it like a CEO. And John Brannon is an excellent CEO. He has so many skills at doing, I mean, you just watch his press conferences, like how he handles things, what he's he charming. says, <laughs> he, people, he's, he gets it, man. He's yeah. like, you know, he's, he's a sharp dude. Like he's very, very intelligent. People are going to, people are going to learn that he's very intelligent. So I'm very excited about the program and under his leadership and, and where it's going to go. I have, I'm not worried one bit. Plus, Nick seems to be enjoying uh, being on the golf course and drinking iced coffees right now, so he he's happy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard I heard about I didn't get to see the initial text, but I started seeing stuff. I'm like, I was gonna text I was gonna text him and go like, what what happened? Like, what is, you've never had <laughs> never had yeah. Iced Nick's coffee. a good he's such a good dude, man. Nick is is an excellent guy. Well, just kind of a, a last question as we uh, kind of got to talking about Brandon here. Um, you've been actively sharing your most recent practice visits and, uh, you seem to be growing that relationship. So, you know, what do you think of John as a fit going forward as you've kind of touched on it a little bit? And then what are your early takeaways on a team to what we have to look forward to this season with all the transition that we've seen on the roster? Well, college basketball is, is, is so different now, even compared to five years ago in that. The recruiting process is, is so crazy. So as a coach now, you have to recruit the guys on your team because of this whole transfer portal deal. Right, like right, right. so you have to trans you have to you have to recruit the guys that play for your team first and then you have to look within the portal and see who's available and then you have to start looking at seniors to be, juniors to be. So the process is crazy. So even 10 years ago, um, I had college coaches calling me about um, some of the kids in my basketball program that were freshmen and just interested. Hey, do you think this kid would develop? Like, what are your thoughts on him? I don't get any of those calls anymore. Not, I mean, I just, unless the kid is an absolute stud, I just don't get those calls. They're like, who do you have that's a senior to be? Because the, the concentration is so difficult now of, okay, are we going to retain the kids we have and who's in the transfer portal? And then let's look at this next you know crop of kids coming in. So I think with all that being said, John Brandon initially had a, had a lot on his plate, and he had to not only recruit the kids that were coming back, he had to look at the transfer portal, I mean, he just had a lot. And he and I had a conversation about this. I can't talk about some of the stuff that he and I talked about, but there was just a lot of things in motion. And, and he kind of told me about his plan. And that's when I was tweeting out to fans, like, listen, everything will be fine. Like, and, to be, and just to be brutally honest, he knew a lot of those guys were going to leave and jump in the transfer portal. Oh, sure. And he was prepared for that. And he was prepared for a group of kids to come in. Um, 
And as as more kids started jumping in the portal from UC, fans were kind of like going crazy. And I'm like, I couldn't really say like he knew this, folks. Right. Like he knew this was going to happen, and he's got <laughs> plans. Like the dude, the dude's smart. So uh, I think he's done a great job putting together a roster based on the time he's had. Think Absolutely. about this. Think about the roster not only that he's developed now. The pulse he has on the kids for next year, uh, potentially that are coming in. He's done all of this, and he's not coached one single game exactly. as the head coach of the University of Cincinnati. It's but only been a couple months. Kids, <laughs> huh? It's only been a couple months. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it, it's amazing to me. I mean, he's not coached one game, and he's got kids wearing red and black and bleeding yep. it, like, yep. all in. And I'm like, that should tell you right there. That should tell you we've got the right guy. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and, and so, so to answer your other part of your question, um, what I've seen in practice, um, the, the, it, it was a little difficult because when I was at practice early on, I went to the first, I went to the first, pra- first time they could actually, you know, practice as a group. And some of the guys still couldn't practice because they hadn't signed all their papers um, I think uh, I think Cumberland um, he was, still was the, resting his foot. Huh? I think he was still in the deciding if he was going to come or not. No, no, no. He was there. No, he was. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'll be honest with you. Jaron was never leaving. Oh. He was he was getting information, and he. I, I, I'll be flat out honest with you. A lot of kids that ended up coming to UC, um, his cousin. Um, uh, God, I'm trying to think of some of the kids that are here. Jern, he he deserves credit for helping Coach Brandon talk to those kids about coming. So back when I was telling fans, like, listen, we are good. Trust me, everything's going to be all right. I was tweeting that as saying, like, Jern's coming back. (laughs) He and I had conversations. Sometimes it's like these guys need to gather information, see what they need to work on, and then come back and work on them. Yeah. And Coach Brandon's style of play really helps out Jaron. Like that style Absolutely. of play is very 1, pro style. Yeah, Absolutely. And it helps him. You know, so so Jaron wasn't practice, but he was in a boot because his foot was bothering him, and he was uh, resting something. That, I guess an injury he had during the season. Um. So some of the new guys weren't there, but I'll tell you what, it was a different vibe and energy. Um, I'm not saying that mixed vibe and energy was bad. It was just different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes different is good. And, you know, Trey Scott, Trevor Moore, you know, uh, Mamadou, some of these guys need to hear a different voice. They need to play in a different style. Um, it's, It's not a bad thing. So, it's that change they're, of scenery again. Adjust, that? It's that change of scenery again. Yep, and I think they'll they'll all figure it out. I mean, it's it's going to be a process. Here, here's my big concern. My big concern is I think a lot of fans are on board with what Coach Brandon has put together. They're 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 bought in, and what's going to happen is these first three to four games, uh, the style of play is going to be so different. A lot of the players are going to struggle with it. And it's going to take some time for them to figure it out. Because, for example, last year, Trey Scott 
would get pulled out of a game and he would have to sit down because of a shot he took. Mm-hmm. In this style, Trevor's going to get pulled out and sit down if he doesn't take that shot. So hmm. Trevor Moore. Trevor Moore is shooting the basketball with a lack of confidence last year. Absolutely. And this – what you say? Absolutely, Absolutely he yeah. was. It was. It was rough. It was. Mm-hmm. So – he is going to have a green light, and hopefully that helps his confidence. And listen, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff that Trevor Moore battled was self-inflicted. He's a young young guy going through stuff, and and you know I'm not being critical of, of Mick that Mick killed his confidence or whatever, but um, just as a basketball player, you you go through a lot of ups and downs, and um, hopefully this style of play, having a green light, if you're open, shoot it. You're a shooter, shoot, do what you're supposed to do. Um, you know, hopefully that helps Trevor Moore out because he's needed. Um, so it, it, it's going to be it's like at what point? At what point does the team figure out this style and everything starts working and, and, and gelling? Like take for instance last year, I go to the game versus Ohio State the first game and I'm like, oh my lord, this is going to be an awful season. Like, <laughs> Man, that game was rough. But what was going on is, you know, Mick's having to play a certain style. He's got to get these guys buying into it. And once they started to figure it out, they hit their stride, right? Yeah. So my my concern next year is at what point do they hit that stride? I mean, are people going to start jumping ship like, oh, this is a bad fit? You know, hopefully everybody's kind of like, okay, we're, we're going to be patient. This is going to come together. So that's that's kind of like my only my only concern. What game do they really start to figure it out and hit their stride? Once they do, I think two things. One, it will be a fun style of play to watch. And number two, I think the style of play will be better suited for NCAA runs, for Final Fours, like, you know, Elite Eights, like those type of runs. I, I, I personally do. That's fair, absolutely. Well, I think we all look forward to seeing that together. I want to thank you for your time tonight. I know you kind of got to get going here. But, no, it was super awesome to finally have you on the podcast after trying to get you on here with back and forth and different scheduling conflicts and what have you. So, no, we were really happy that you were able to make some time for us. Yeah, no problem at all. Always happy to talk about uh, UC basketball. Big passion of mine and your guys and a lot of people in the community. I mean, people love UC basketball, man. They sure do. You you know what? I was telling somebody, um, I was out of town, and someone was asking me about the climate of sports in Cincinnati. And I said, well, one of the things with UC, specifically UC basketball, is UC basketball for that stretch was so freaking good when the Bengals were awful, the Reds were awful. I mean, there was really no other show in town. It was like Bearcats were consistently the hot ticket. Yep. Xavier was And Z- Xavier was, av- you know what I'm saying? Like, Xavier was like, uh, you know, and, uh, I know Xavier's a rival <laughs> and stuff, but I don't mean to take a shot at Xavier, but they I just did. weren't on the level consistently of getting the recruits we were getting yeah, and just the, the, the whole vibe. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the whole yeah. vibe around UC basketball was just different. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Nike uniforms, so the Jordan uniforms, the Kenyon Martins, the Danny Fortunes, 
Danny Forsen's on Sports Illustrated's cover. Kenyon Martin's the number one pick in the uh, NBA draft, Naismith Player of the Year. Ruben Patterson saying he's a Kobe stopper. <laughs> Logan, this six foot fat kid, hitting threes from everywhere. It's like, it, there was nothing else in town like this. So it captured so many people, and so many people are still passionate about UC basketball. And I think it also that helped out UC football is is I think not only UC but the country figured out football like like if if our for schools that have football and basketball both can exist and both can do well at a high level and when UC kind of figured that out you know they got to figure out the dollars how do we improve our facilities how do we do this and that um, when they started figuring that out I mean the proof is in like look at UC's football with the tailgating yeah. I mean, I've had UC season uh, tickets for football with my dad since we were like, I think I was like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. There was no tailgating when I was growing up. <laughs> yep. There was none. We'd walk to the, I mean, when I played at UC, we would go to the game and lay on the bleachers. Yep. Like, there was nobody there. Now, I mean, it's just a different, a different ball game. So I, I just, I think, you know, basketball has helped you know, football in a, in, a, in a lot of ways because, and it's helped football because of the passionate fan base that I think was created during that period of the height of UC basketball. So, well, You're absolutely correct. Well, you guys put us on the map. Congratulations. Yeah. We appreciate it. <laughs> oh, well, I, I played a, trust me, I played a, I played a small role, but I was happy to, I was happy. I mean, I, listen, um, I'm a, I always say this. I'm a UC fan first. I'm a former player second. I've been a fan longer than I was a player. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you guys. I'm right there with, with all the fans and, and, the, and the love. And hopefully they continue to, to do well. And hopefully we make that Final Four run again soon. And the football team, hey, listen. Man, I'll tell you what. If that football team does well to start, man, they got a tough schedule oh, to start. Sure. And if they do well... Good lord! I mean, yep. it, it's like every day they get a new recruit. It's like holy you moly! Kidding. Like you aren't kidding. I mean, I'm serious. I'm like, how did he get like? <laughs> like wow! I mean, Fickle. Fickle is killing Fickle's it. Killing it. Yes. yes. I well, mean, shout out, shout out to Mike Bone for the job he's done is uh, identifying great leaders. I mean, even UC women's basketball program. I mean, coach is doing well with that. Um, baseball. I mean, I, I, <laughs> props to the baseball team yep. for the run. They okay. beat UConn so bad they decided to leave the conference. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, I mean, it's just such a great vibe over there. And with Mike Bone's leadership um, in the athletic department, I don't think he gets enough credit. I don't know that he wants the credit, um, to be honest with you, but um, he deserves a lot of credit for identifying good leaders and letting them letting them lead. So, a lot, of, a lot of great things going on over there at the, the university. I'm, I'm happy about it. Absolutely. Well, on that note, yep, we will let so. you get to dinner. Hey, I'm going to try to keep you between that dinner. Yeah, man. <laughs> I need some food, man. I'm hungry. <laughs> and uh, we, we right, still so. have a Thanks. ton of stuff we'd love to talk to you about if you got some time for us again. But until then, we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah appreciate for sure. it. For sure. We'll do it again. All, All right, right, fellas. Have a good one. Talk to you guys soon. Yeah, you too. Oh, you blowing money fast on this side. Catch up. I think I'm big meat. Huh?